Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, and it is a great privilege to be able to reach out to my congregation, who is part of this fellowship here in Dallas, as well as to all of our Saints Network family. I uh, am happy to have returned to Dallas. Uh, Debbie and I were away, as many of you know, for just about a week. And uh, this is family business. It's certainly nobody else's business but ours. But when COVID hit and everything was suspended as far as travel and all those other aspects of life, you all lived through it, so you know what I mean. Um, there were some uh, travel credits that she and I had that were not refundable. And um, they were set to expire. And so we need, needed to either use it or lose it. And so Debbie had wanted to go to Scotland. And we made plans and went there. And I think that even though it was not a ministry trip, we didn't do activations, I do know that God used it to, for many reasons, but to illuminate my thinking. God directs the steps of a righteous person. We know that. We've read that somewhere. And um, I, I am very grateful for some of the things that just in getting away he allowed me to hear from him. One of them was uh, in regard to just being able to travel again. And this is the first international trip that, um, that I've taken in years. And, you know, as far as the Saints Network is concerned, we were taking five, six, seven of those within the space of a year. <laughs> and, and so to have not gone anywhere for well over two years was different. So it was good to be able to see what's going on in travel, going through the, the Heathrow Airport and then being around uh, people in an international way, coming back into our country. And it, it gave me a perspective as to what uh, the conditions are and whether we can begin to plan journeys for the Saints Network internationally. We've been active, as you well know, in lots of points of ministry. But, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, it should not escape anybody's attention that when we go somewhere representing the network and we take people with us, um, we have responsibility for them. And um, not only do we not want to put anybody into, you know, jeopardy, uh, because you can't judge your faith um, and in extend that onto somebody else. So you want to make sure that things are, that are, are acceptable for them. And you can say, okay, this is what we're encountering. Choose whether the Lord is saying for you to go and whether you're willing to do it. And secondly, you know, I don't want to take anybody into a 
to a challenging point and then god forbid they they uh, encounter difficulties and then then we're there for ministry but we have to then double back and become caregivers now that sounds harsh but we don't go as tour guides we go as ministers and anything that detracts us from ministry uh, is is not acceptable um, I've gone and ministered the last time I went to Brazil the last half of the trip with all of my faith and power quote unquote I got sick but I ministered through it and I didn't you know I'm not telling you that for any reason to say oh great thing wonderful um, but if somebody else had gotten ill I would have been responsible for them and uh, I don't want them to face challenges but on the other hand I don't want to take somebody into a scenario where they could be at risk and that then a large portion of our ministry time is taken taking care of them does that make sense that sounds harsh to some of you but I really don't care <laughs> if you if you've taken groups on trips and ministry you know what I'm talking about so it was good for me to be able to see this is where we are right now and um, now I do want to say something about our city here in Dallas this heat is not acceptable I know many of you are saying amen it's the loudest amen, amen I've gotten in probably years ranking right up there with an all-time high in the amen chart um, you know I'm not comparing it to England and Scotland but it was pleasant over there you know they had a heat wave it got up to 81 degrees and they were sweltering and I was thinking man this is Texas winter time but it it was cool there too and I just love that you know you walk outside and it's 67 degrees and you think for the air conditioning bill is going to be sky high and then you realize this is outside God's paying this bill but we this this heat and this lack of rain is not acceptable we've not had to deal with this in the last 20 years and we're not going to deal with it now so I ask all of our saints here in Dallas let's agree I've already been declaring it I ask you to declare it as well that there's going to be a break in this sweltering 100 plus degree parade and that we'll have a, a divine intervention of cooler weather and rain and that it will be soon this is an enemy assignment it's not climate change we have battled the enemy with high-pressure systems here in this terrio. I remember when I first came here, we had a record summer of 113, 117. I think we set the record for 100-plus degrees days, and it was way up there. You remember that in 1980. And then we had drought all the time. Oh, we got a drought. It was the wonderful thing. You know, the weather people love to talk about uh, the potential of sleet, or drought and uh, God broke that cycle we've not had that now it's still Texas I'm not asking it to become like Iceland 
But this is not acceptable. It's the enemy trying to come in and reassert his territory. So we resist this, and we say, no, this is not acceptable. And so um, let's be in agreement regarding that. Today, we want to turn our attention to a scripture that is found in the book of Ecclesiastes. And um, the title of this message is Turn, Turn, Turn. And uh, those of you who were born in, in, and lived in the 60s, or if you like the old 60s, some of the music, <coughs> you remember a group called The Birds that did a song called Turn, Turn, Turn. And they basically sang from Ecclesiastes 3, to everything there is a season and to a purpose, and to every purpose, a time to every purpose under heaven. And then they sang it. And we were all rejoicing because when I, you know, was just a kid, here's a big name, a pop group who's singing the scriptures. And that was, that was just wonderful. Um, but we need to talk about some of the things that are in this third chapter of Ecclesiastes. We've talked about being as Issachar to understand the times and seasons and know what Israel ought to do. Well, this is a passage that we don't often look at, but I think that it's, it is significant for us, particularly in what we as the saints are encountering now in the timetable of the Lord and where we're going. So let's look at this together. Um, we're just going to look at verse 1, and then we'll talk about a few other verses. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven. What does that mean? <clears throat> well, it's just that the whole theme of what this third chapter of Ecclesiastes uh, is focusing on is the fact that God is doing things in his ways. There, there, is, uh, there are seasons where God says, I'm going to accomplish a certain thing. And there's no, there's no set time frame to how long a season is. And there's a time for every purpose under heaven. This is interesting because time there was also used uh, to speak about... Uh, when certain things would happen that the people would rejoice in. Like this, this word and a derivative of it would be used to describe mealtime. In fact, sometimes just this word would, be described, would, would describe when it was time to eat, which I'm sure everybody then, just as now, uh, rejoice in. And so what this is saying is that God's going to do things in his way and he's going to gather together his people, and he's going to bring um, certain impartations, certain moments where he does a thing. And it's not that he is going to do that thing then forever. It's just on the time frame of what he's wanting to accomplish, he has moments. And this is a problem that a lot of Christians have. This is why one of the reasons why visitations from God are often um, misunderstood. I think I would think that for us as saints, when God was birthing the visitation of 
what the saints were to be and intercessory sons before the Father. There was that honeymoon period where God was just pouring out his spirit and he was leading us into the, to the deeper things of his word and it was a unique time. That, time. that specific release was not designed to last forever. It was God's timing to lead us into the new and then we were to apply what we had experienced, what had been imparted, what we had learned, and then impart that to others. Um, sometimes people get, they're like the, the parable of the sower. And some, they, some, when God's doing a thing, when he's sowing a seed, some don't want to have anything to do with it. That always mystifies me, but I've seen it in real time. Then there are others who like the bravado of what's going on, and they rejoice openly. You see them grow. Sometimes they grow faster than anyone else around. You think, wow, look what God's doing there. But they have no root in them. They're not digging deeper. They're not going down into the things of the depths of what God wants. And as soon as one challenge hits or another a type of... Uh, of um, exertion in their life, they're done. And then, of course, as a leader or those that are concerned, you think, well, what could we have done differently? You could have done everything you wanted to do for that plant. You could have watered it every day, but if it's not going to grow deeper, it's not going to live. Third thing is the cares of this world. We've seen that one, too. The cares take a lot of forms. Um, people's expectations not being met. Those expectations, those carnal expectations are cares of this world. Uh, I don't know how many times people have said to me whether they meant to betray their, their desires or not, I'm doing this so I can get this. Uh, there, there was a person who said, you know why I do this ministry for you so I can stay in the core of what's going on. Well, that's it's not acceptable. That's, that is not acceptable. There are no quid pro quos in the spirit. Um, there's, there's simply an agreement to do and to be what God's called you to be and to do, and, and you commit yourself to him and to the work. If you've got a lot of, you know, if you've got ambition, well, I'm going to do this, and what's my goal in five years? What did Jesus say about that? Don't talk about tomorrow. Nobody has that. Seems I read that from our Lord. It's in red in your Bible, even in those modern Bibles. But we'd heard people say that, and then they get frustrated because things aren't moving along as quickly as they want. And then there are those who commit to the to this to the field. And they rise in the Lord and they with stand all of the challenges and they're committed to God and they bring forth fruit. We've talked about the, the principle of the 30, the 60, and the 100 fold, and we looked at what those words mean. And the end result is the 100 fold are people that have committed to the task of God and God makes them gatekeepers. And um, that's what we want to be. But it's a commitment to God, to his ways, not to being entertained. Not as, not as a, 
if I do this for you, God, I expect you're going to promote me and make my name known. The, the greatest among you is the servant of all. Um, you know, and we're going to talk about some of these verses, but um, let's look at the last verse of this chapter, and then we'll come back into some other verses. And I'm going to tell you about something that the Spirit was speaking to me about while I was away. Verse 9, what profit has he that works in that wherein he laboreth? Now, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Just in the natural, it doesn't make any sense. But, but what it's really saying is, the, the last word wherein he laboreth means to be uh, the type of person that just gets exasperated. You're worn out. You, you just think while you're doing your task, I'm so tired of this. I don't want to be doing it. And, and what the, the, the term translated as profit is the, the healthy perspective of what you're actually doing in service to the Lord. And, and so <clears throat> the scripture saying is that as, if you are serving God and all you're doing is griping and complaining and feeling that God has abandoned you or why am I having to face this and what, you know, what good has it done me to serve God? You know, in, in the, the minor prophets, and I only use that term, forgive me, Mark, but I only use that term because that's the way they're designated. There's nothing minor about their content. God tells his people, look, your words are stout against me. You've said these things. And I think we've, we've got to really recognize what we're committing ourselves to as saints. And if we've got any other agenda, <clears throat> even if it's subliminal, that really irritates us and wears us out, the enemy will be all over that. It will be a vulnerability for you, and you will be what the Scripture says here. What good is it for you to be partnering with God toward the eternal good if while you're doing that, you're griping and complaining and you're really allowing yourself to become frustrated with God? This is an enemy strategy. I dare say this is, in another way, what doomed Judas We've taught on that before, um, and several other examples in Scripture. So, we were in Scotland, and there in Edinburgh, or Edinburgh, as they say, um, and this city was famous for so many things, not the least of which is the fact that um, the fact that so many major uh, men and women of God in crucial periods of time from the late 1400s all the way up into the early 1600s were positioned there and we went into the house where John Knox 
lived for a number of years. It's still there. In fact, it's, it's uh, on the out exterior of the house. The person who owned the place had, uh, had a, a mason uh, inscribe a scripture verse that goes around the outside of the house. So we went up into this place, and it was talking about some of the things that John Knox did when he was uh, in Edinburgh. And, of course, if you study about his life and ministry, he, he was raised as a very poor man, very poor child in um, St. Andrews, which is where the golf course is that's so famous. But he, he was kind of on scholarship in the Catholic school, which was a blessing from God. He became a Catholic priest, but then he became a Protestant. And he, uh, there was a battle largely about whether scripture could be in the hands of people. You, you know that, you know, William Tyndale in the late 1400s was martyred in Belgium for that. And his last words were, God opened the eyes of the king of England and, uh, and they wanted the word of God to be in the hands of people. And so John Knox became a proponent of this and Queen Mary in England was trying to kill him. So he fled over into Europe. He went to uh, Switzerland and became a friend of John Calvin. Uh, he was basic, Calvin was the teacher and really mentored in many ways Knox. In fact, we've done activations there where if you go down into the public square below the big church that we've ministered in been blessed by God to minister in the oratoire. Uh, there's this park that has these massive stone sculptures of like Knox and Calvin and Zwingli and others. But um, Knox really gained his understanding of a lot of scriptural uh, tenets from Calvin. Uh, the only problem they had together was Knox wrote a book that really said that women in authority was not God's way, and um, that that really um, was not wise. In fact, um, Calvin was uh, embarrassed by that and basically confronted Knox about it. But now, again, you know me. I mean, I'm all for women in ministry. My house... My, I'm a wife, two daughters, two granddaughters. I want them to succeed in ministry. We've got a, a church full of women ministers, and I'm proud of, uh, and our network, I'm proud of and blessed by God for that. But in fairness to Knox, Queen Mary was trying to kill him. Queen Elizabeth, who succeeded her, was not real fond of him, and Queen Mary, Queen of Scots, was really trying to do him in too. So in his lifetime, he had these three queens that were after him. And I think that really soiled him, understandably so. But, um, you know, it's a revisionist history. Uh, that 
probably not the good word. People like to dismiss Knox because of that book, not really realizing what he faced during that time frame where he was being threatened. Um, but I stood there in, in this place where he lived in Edinburgh. And when he came back, he actually became allowed to be a minister there in uh, St. Giles Cathedral. And boy, we went there and were, were in a service there. It's interesting to hear them in their 10 minutes service. Um, I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying it was, it was interesting. Um, and we heard about the fluctuations over the centuries there where, you know, there was the, the Catholic religion and then Protestantism came in and then Catholicism and the Book of Prayer tried to come back in so much so that on the first day they presented it, one of the women that was there in the church picked up a stool and threw it at the, at the, the minister and so they suspended services for a while. And then uh, when Knox came back in, uh, he, um, he and his group, they marched into the church and demanded that he be able to minister, and he, he did. But it was, it was all about this flow. What was God trying to do? This is my purpose here. You look back over the history from Gutenberg through all of the, the reformers and the way that the Bible was being translated and how then it was persecuted and burned and then it finally became <clears throat> printed by the edict of King James who went into Edinburgh Castle where he was born that into the room where he was born and prayed there about really I was meditating on how over the scope of hundreds of years what God really wanted to have happen with the scriptures being in the hand of the people, how long did that take? How many moments of significance arose over that time period? How many decades then seemed like that prospect of God's season and God's intent seemed like they were languishing or maybe it was lost and then there'd be a burst of the visitation of the Lord and there would be really the miraculous where then the scripture uh, you know there was the, the the great Bible the English Bible there were there the, the Tyndale New Testament there were all these things and others and then finally the printing of the King James scriptures and I'm not, again, you can go back and say, well, what was his motive and what was his morals? And he was really an immoral king in a lot of ways. Well, that's true. That's true. Let's stop being revisionist. Let's stop looking back at a, a span of hundreds of years where God was doing a thing and people that he used and try to throw it out because this person did this thing or that person did that thing that they shouldn't have done. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the purpose of God, the sincere service of God through those that he anoints for his seasons and his times is really the most important thing. You don't justify sin or iniquity, but you see what God is doing. And, and I, I think that's 
what we as saints need to look at. We've only been at this for 26 years now. Um, seems like a long time. If you just step aside and look at what God has accomplished during that time, it is phenomenal because it is God that's done it, and he's not finished yet. But if you just look at it, okay, you know, I'm 65 years old now. You know, I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with that. You know, God, when are you going to do what you said? You know, we had visions, and, you know, we... We, uh, we had anticipations, and it doesn't look like it was doing that way, and this person fell away, and that icon that we trusted is now over here doing this. Oh, God, how oh, much? You know, get a grip. That for God, it's been that fast or, or, or less amount of time than that fast. We've still only begun. What is God doing? What is our mission anyway as saints? We're a remnant, remember, from the scripture? We're the razor's edge, remember? And that's a fine point. We're a strike force, remember? We, we are intercessors. We serve the Father in his timetable. We're not in charge. Our five-year plan is not means nothing if you have one. We are not God's counsel. Are you tempted to jump ship and run over to some other ministry that might, that's blowing and going right now? How many of those have I seen over the years that rise up and blow away? I can list 10 of them just off the top of my head here in Dallas that rose up, the be-all, end-all, big thing, and they're gone. I'm not judging anybody, but what God has given us remains. It, not one jot or tittle of it because it's based in the scripture and the application of what the scripture says we're really supposed to be doing in partnership with the angelic before the throne of God. That continues. And God is spreading our, our, his message and our duties in that around the world. We, what are we called to do? To learn, to serve, to do and to teach, to base things in the scripture, to mine the pneumatikos principles of the scriptures, to teach that, make disciples where God opens the door around the world, is that happening? You better believe it is. But if you thought, well, you know, by this time I would, do, I would be here and I would be doing this and people would be applauding me and, you know, I, I just don't know why this place over here is being this. Maybe I should go over there. Are, are you that short-sighted? And I'm not faulting anybody. I'm just saying I look at what I just experienced and on I, I would pray in these places and I would lay on my face before God and declare the power of the cross and lay, in, lay claim to those systemies there. Just me before the Lord. Just me before the Lord. Applying what I knew from the word of God and laying claim. You know, there's, it's, not a, it's not a far cry from 
We want to make the scripture available to the people to doing what we're called to do. We want to make what the scripture says available to people. We want to make what God has revealed in the depths of his word available to people. And we want to teach them how to, and impart to them, how to apply those principles. And then we want to sow into them so that they can teach others these things from the Word as a communication center. Have you noticed over the past 10 years or so how the Word has been maligned, watered down, doctrines of devils bringing in, uh, and, and being taught in churches? Our message and our ministry from the Lord has not changed. And it is accomplishing in God's timing and his season what he wants. It is not according to God, our timetable, but God's timetable. So my, my feeling here initially in, in bringing this word is, do we really realize, do we truly realize what God is doing? What he's really commissioned the saints to do? I don't give a flip. I, I know this is going to irritate some of you. How many people we have in our church service on a Sunday? I love the people that are here. I want them to be here. But I long ago gave up on when God's the one that brings people into a place. And honestly, it took him a long time to get us down to a core. So I'm not saying I want to bring in a bunch of babies again and be responsible for them. And then when they get irritated, have to deal with their nonsense. We're, we're reaching out. You and I, saints, are reaching out to places all over the world, to thousands of people that we have a responsibility for. And, and it's God's doing, not man's work. It's God's doing. And we have a limited time to do that. The enemy is trying every way that he can to stop that. It's all about God's word that will never pass away, not one jot or tittle, because God's word is who he is. He is the living word. And when we go before the throne of grace and we know our God, the Word is, is the one who's there. So we need to know the Word, and we need to be purveyors of the Word. And, you know, Jesus taught from the Word. Paul taught the Word. And that's our job. We're intercessors, yes. We're sons, but what do we deal with? The Word. What are we supposed to do? Go out and talk about experiences and manifestations? That lasts for a very brief period of time. I can tell you that from personal experience in ministering this. But the Word of God will stand forever because in it is the intricacies of the depths, the bathos of His mysteries. The Word is hidden in our heart that we don't miss the mark of God. And it's the word, the sword that we utilize to rebuke the enemy. And um, we, we have to recognize that that is a high call. That is, to me, the highest calling. And it's not just 
learning the Word of God. It's knowing the God of the Word. And I, I'm very grateful for what God has given us. So when I was privileged to be standing in these places and considering how much we are aligned as saints with that process that is an eternal process that played out basically in Europe and in England and Scotland for hundreds of years. That's a long time. There'd be a visitation, a mighty person or people of God would rise up. They would do what they're called to do. And then that mission continued. Another would rise up and another would rise up and they would impact one another. I'm praying that God will raise up from the faithfulness of the saints Apostle Paul's and others who will champion the work of the Lord as witnesses in the last days. And they're not going to do that by embracing the doctrines of devils or the go-along, get-along, watering down of moral uh, fiber uh, amongst the people just to, to bring in numbers and under the guise of God's love. They're not going to do that by doctrines of devils and becoming like other false religions. They're only going to do that through spending time as sons before the throne of God on their face in intercession, praying in the gifts that God has given through diversities of tongues and understanding the things that the Spirit would show us from his word of how the kingdom operates and then making disciples and taking the cross and establishing this in the places that God opens up in the time that we have for the night comes when no man can work. It's a process. And, and I don't, I don't, I only want for my own life, for our church, and I would speak on behalf of the Saints Network, that in this time frame, we would do what our Father is wanting and that we will represent him in this season being faithful to the call and that we would, that we would achieve the goal that God has placed before us for our moment in time and serve him and pass that along to those to whom we have a responsibility to train and make disciples in and to stand alongside and then to make the way then for others to come. But it's the word, it's intercession and the word and um, obedience. So I, I was recognizing these things and um, <laughs> uh, it just it gave me a great perspective. So let's let's look at just a couple of these things. Some of you wondered if I'd ever get back to it, but you know me, I I I eventually get around to <laughs> to what I said I was going to do in a message. 
I'm not going to go through all of these. I'm just going to touch on some really interesting verses, like um, verse, verse 3, where it says, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. Now, I'm not advocating to kill anybody, but I am saying that to heal is rofa, rapa. It speaks about really reaching into what God is wanting. Remember when we studied about that, wrote about it, the intricacies of this word, how it really has to do with restoring so that you can serve God, but reaching into God's spirit, reaching into the realm of the kingdom of heaven, reaching through that doorway and bringing across what God wants, and in the meantime, being impacted by it. And there, there's a time where you have to, you have to die to self. You may, you may have to kill some things in your personal life. Not other people, not advocating that, but there may be some things that you have to say, okay, enough of this. I, 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 I put this, I bury this so that I can enter into this new measure of life. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it has no life in it. But there's a time to break down. That's parats. That's the breaker. Look at it. It's there. But then there's a time to build up. And that word means to, to strengthen, to add to your storehouse, to add to your the the vitality of the the things that God wants to strengthen you with in the various areas of your life from the kingdom for the kingdom I think we've lived that over these past couple of years haven't we we came up to a point where for all intents and purposes we knew parats the based upon us standing in the gap in the parets Parats was there. We scheduled, you know, you live this, so many different operations that we knew were of the Lord. And God does things like that in Scripture. Read about it sometime where he tells people to go and be ready to do this. And he says, okay, no, don't. Go this direction. Now, no, stop. Go this other direction. You know, the Spirit restrains me, even though the Spirit prepared me to do this. And and. I think, as we've said in the past, that tests us, that tries the reins, but it also confuses the enemy. And in the meantime, God knows exactly what he wanted all, all along, and um, this is just the way God does things. So while it was frustrating for us to have to cancel major engagements around the world, the parats of the breakthrough was suspended what happened instead of that? Well, I lived it and you did too. God blessed us. God provided for us. We were, we were added to. We were strengthened. We were given so many capacities that really God was adjusting and upgrading. Um, it was a time to build up. 
even though it looked like a time to break through, yet God turned that and built us up. Isn't that amazing? I We lived it. There it is. Let's look um, at even verse 2. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up. What does that mean? Pluck up that which was planted. Well, planting is, is just simple. You know what planting is. But the pluck up business of what was planted doesn't now it's easy to just say it means to harvest it it can mean that but if you study this term you will admittedly come to the understanding that there's a whole lot more that is involved here there's a time to plant but then there's a time where god says okay what you've planted this needs to be uprooted. The ground needs to be broken because I'm going to plant something new or something more or I'm going to refurbish the soil. Um, it's, maybe it's a kind of like a, every seven years where the soil has to be given rest. It's a Sabbath rest to strengthen itself. There's another factor like in warfare. It would be sometimes, this sounds cruel for you animal lovers, but um, if you were battling against a cavalry unit and you got the enemy's horses and you didn't need all those horses, you would hamstring their horses so that they couldn't be used in battle anymore. That word is this word. So there, there's a time where God is saying, okay, get out there and plant. You're, you're going out. You're, you're, you're really doing the work. But then there's a time where God says, now stop. You just stop. Yeah, it could involve harvest. But I would say that of the meanings of the word, probably that's only like 25% of how this word would be used. The other 75% or roughly that was used to say God's stopping things. And what's he doing through it? He's taking away from the ability of the enemy. He's removing perhaps ways that the enemy was infiltrating your field. Maybe he's turning over the soil and what was planted there so that it could be strengthened and could, could rest. And, you know, it's kind of like in, in, the, in the yearly seasons where we've talked about the hand and the winter being the first season where it looks like nothing's going on, but yet that's the beginning of the process. I think we've experienced that too. I think there are ways that God has, as we're committed to him for everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. What is the season of the Lord? What is God really wanting to do? And, and how then in that 
how then in that objective, that divine objective, which could last for a long, long period of time, where there's a time for every purpose, God raises this thing up, or he raises up this group gathering, or he raises up this visitation. How long does that last? What's in God's hands? You know, there were great revivals around the world. God used them to impact the nations. God, there were ways that the histemis of those places and the, the strength of the deposit of the glory in those places breathed out for the glory of God. And, but the overall purpose of God, the overall strategy of God, the timelessness of it was moving forward. This is the sign of sons and understanding this. It's maturity and the things of the Spirit. It's not, oh, well, this visitation is here. Let's all get with this. Oh, no, these people over here are doing this. Let's all do that. Oh, no, this is... You know what that is? That's every wind of doctrine. James tells us that we should not be blown about by that. We should be aware of it. But the most important thing to be aware of is the, the, the eternal calling that God has given us in his word that is no... And, and as saints sons, as intercessors, partners with the angelic in the purpose of our Father in this crucial hour. If we forget about that, we're not worthy of the calling. If we think, oh, I wish it was back the way it was 26 years ago. You know, I see my little grandson, and he's so cute, and he does the funniest little things. I don't want him to be that way 25 years from now. That would be a catastrophe. I don't want him at 23, 24 years old thinking, I wish I was back with my passy in my mouth making funny noises and making everybody think how cute I am. Would there be something wrong if that happened? Yes, it would. So why do we even entertain that thought? Why don't we recognize that God has given us an eternal gifting and we're partnering with him in purposes that are achieving in God's timetable what he has ordained to do? We're living in the most crucial moment in history. I believe we are. Now, some would say, well, what about the birth of Christ and his sacrifice? Well, thank God for that. We would be nowhere without that. But Jesus said, greater things will you do because I go to my Father. Jesus said, because I'm redeeming you to my Father, you now will know him and you will carry forth the kingdom. You will be joint heirs with me. So in Jesus' mindset, let's just ask this. 
What's the most crucial thing in the timeline of history? I would dare say, he would say to you right now, that my father's business be achieved. What was his father's business? Was it as some would teach when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the father, he said it is finished and it's done. The only thing he's got to do now is wait for the father say, bring my children home. I've heard that preached. Do you think Jesus is sitting up there in the heavenly lazy boy, lazy boy doing nothing? Or do you think he ever lives to make intercession that you will fulfill what? The will of the Father. So what's the most crucial time frame? For you is now. But in the end times, what's been prophesied in the scripture where all things are coming together, I think in the words of Jesus, it was all pointed to now. Where you see these things coming to pass, look up for your redemption draws nigh. It's all being mobilized now. The fulfillment of what Christ made to make possible. It's all being mobilized right now. But these giants of the faith, both men and women throughout the years, they would rise up, do what God wants, and, and then they would pass on. I'm not saying we're about to pass on, but what I'm saying is that we've got to recognize that God is doing a work. Yeah, some things had to die. New things are coming. Yeah, some things were plucked up and new things planted. Yes, there were times where the parats had to stop because if you just have breakthrough all the time, you're not going to be uh, really successful. Look at military strategy. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not glorifying these men, but Napoleon was destroyed because he, he, <laughs> he underestimated the Russian winner and he extended himself out too far. Same with Hitler. He was ambitious. He went beyond what he, what he, in a military strategy, what wisdom would have said he should have done. And it weakened him. I'm glad it did. But if you don't strengthen the places that God has given you and do what you're supposed to do, it's like when an unclean spirit goes out of a person goes through dry places seeking for a place of rest. We've studied about all of this. And he comes back to the place that he thinks is his and maybe was his, his hangout place for a long period of time. And he looks to see whether it's clean, filled, and garnished. If you don't do something to establish and strengthen and welcome the kingdom and populate it where you are, it doesn't matter whether the place was delivered. Seven worse comes. If, if you just overextend yourself in, in pioneering, you get out there and you're going to find out you're not going to survive. Does that make sense? So God has had this in, in this season to everything, turn, turn, turn. 
And we're, we're not just focusing on what it feels like right now, because if we do that, then our commitment to the labor of the Lord is going to be eaten up by our frustration in the midst of our physical application of it. That's what that verse meant that we read and talked about. We, we're in the overall timing of God, the chronos of God. And when God says, this is what I'm doing on behalf of your calling, it rises up and then you got to do something with it. But when the parats pulls back in the timing of the Lord, you then better be building up the parets and getting ready for the next measure of breakthrough. God's in charge of that. We're not. I think that that's what our message is for today. In fact, I know it is. So I want to encourage you, saints. Recognize the moment that God has you in. Give him thanks for what he's given you. Be faithful in it. Don't let the enemy deceive you into giving up the course. Yeah, I know some of you um, are dealing with some major challenges. Many of you are dealing with great victories. But remember this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he'll add all the things you need. Trust him in that. We've seen it happen, haven't we? Um, this too shall pass. Uh, that's the beauty of when the scripture says, and it came to pass. It comes and it passes. We just have to be faithful to the eternal calling God has given us and do what he says to do. He's in charge. He's in charge. I think that the days ahead are, are going to be filled with incredible wonders. We've got to keep seeking our Father, be faithful to what he's called us to do, and know that this is just the way God does things. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose according to what God's ordained in heaven. Father, I speak blessing over the saints. I thank you for their faithfulness. I thank you for this mission that we share as sons. Help us to be faithful in our intercession and in our devotion to this precious calling that was once delivered to us. We love you, Father. I speak blessing over these dear ones. And we, uh, we commit ourselves afresh to you. I speak encouragement. I speak strengthening. I speak provision, health, healing, freedom, and life to all of you. In Jesus' name. Well, God bless all of you. Thanks for joining today. It's good to be back home. Let's believe here in Dallas for a divine touch in our weather. It's coming. Until next time, God bless you and goodbye.